Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. Think back to the most favorite job you ever had. And if you're currently in your most favorite job you've ever had, congratulations. That's awesome. Think back. Imagine. Think about what it was like when you were in that favorite role. I'm going to venture to guess that one of the things that made it your favorite was the culture that was around you. And that's one of the things that drives some of the most successful companies today. You know, culture used to be one of those things that you just kind of talked about with a lot of fluff, and corporate culture was, I don't know, wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt on Fridays. Hooray. Now, in 2020, culture is no longer a nice to have. Having a strong, remarkable culture is a strength for a company. Having a toxic culture is actually a huge, huge liability. So when you think about those companies that are really doing it well, those that have a remarkable culture, they're the ones who know how to select and sustain and manage their talent They're the ones that understand and teach everyone how to nurture internal relationships in their company. They're the ones that know how to grow organizational loyalty that also turns into and encourages customer loyalty. And they're the ones that instill the practice of having servant leadership across the organization. And one of the best examples of having a remarkable culture is Chick-fil-A. And today, I get to talk to Deanne Turner. Deanne Turner is the leader that helped develop and grow the Chick-fil-A culture to what it is today. She was the company's first female officer. She was instrumental in building and growing Chick-fil-A's well-known culture and their talent systems. She was the one that was responsible for Thousands of selections of Chick-fil-A franchisees and their corporate staff members. She led the talent management. She led the learning and development. She led diversity and inclusion. She led culture engagement. And she was the one that launched and led Chick-fil-A's sustainability program. All in her 33-year career at Chick-fil-A. Now, she leads her own organization, Deanne Turner, LLC, where she is a business book author, and she speaks to at least one or two different audiences per week, consulting and coaching their leaders globally. She's written It's My Pleasure, aptly named, and she's written Bet on Talent. Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture That Wins the Hearts of Customers. And I can literally say that was one of my most favorite business books from 2019. 
She has a new book that's coming out. It's on pre-order right now, and it is Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job, and Launch Your Future. Bet on Talent teaches leaders how to find and keep extraordinary talent. Then Crush Your Career teaches talent how to be extraordinary. You can go to Amazon right now, or you can really go after you listen to this podcast episode. After you listen, go to Amazon, get Bet on Talent right then, and go ahead and pre-order Crush Your Career. But today, I'm talking with Deanne about her book, Bet on Talent. Here we go. Here's my interview with Deanne Turner. Hi, Deanne. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I really appreciate you having me today. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I love that you say it's my pleasure. <laughs> Always. <laughs> That's a habit. First things first, congratulations on Bet on Talent. Uh, that was one of my favorite books to read this past year. Oh, you're, you're so kind. I really, really appreciate that. It was, uh, you know, some people have called that book in my original, in the original version of it was called It's My Pleasure. And some people have called that my love letter to Chick-fil-A. And, and uh, it definitely was, um, a lot of that book was about my experiences there and what I learned from my mentor, Truett Cathy. And um, I'm always thrilled when I hear that some, somebody loved it and enjoyed it and learned something from it. How incredible to have a mentor like that. Well, I was extremely blessed without a doubt um, to have an opportunity, not just to learn business from him. I had a lot of business mentors. Truett was certainly at the top of the list, but really what I learned from Truett was, you know, how to be a human being. Um, You know, next to my parents, I would say that he probably had more influence on me than anybody else in my life. I went to work for Chick-fil-A when I was 21. So I spent my entire adult life working there. And the principles that I learned from him were extraordinarily influential on not just the leader I became at work, but the person I became in all um, facets of my life as a wife and a mother and a community leader. All the things I did had a lot to do with the principles that I learned from Truett. It's great lessons in that we're not just one person at work and then somebody else in other aspects of our life. It's the sum total. It's all experiences across everything and across every person we interact with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, when we have to be different people in different arenas, I think that the internal stress is, pays such a toll on us mentally and physically. And so when we can find that sweet matchup of where who we are um, meets exactly the the culture of the or is or very closely the culture of the workplace that we're a part of. Um, not only, I mean, we can perform at our highest level, and we can also reduce a lot of personal stress because that matchup uh, is, is so good. And I can see how you know, if somebody goes to work somewhere and they're just you know, and, and 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 I get it, I understand. Sometimes people are just looking for a job and want to go, just be able to get a job somewhere. But if you go somewhere and it doesn't match up with who you are, that can cause a lot of friction, a lot of friction at work and friction in your personal life. Yes. It's, it's to me, it's really the reason I would say that people, you know, other than the data shows us that people, 
you know, leave bad bosses. I would say the second thing they do is leave cultures that don't match who they are. So to the extent that an organization can invest in making sure that the talent that's coming there has an opportunity to really understand the culture of the organization so they can make an informed decision. And then the organization can spend the time understanding the individual to be sure there's a match. Uh, That's where you get longer retention and the opportunity to grow leadership um, from within the organization because they stay around long enough to be able to invest at that level. And you've said this term a few times so far, and I love it because I don't think enough business leaders really think of it this way. And then when you think about the title of your book, you know, Bet on Talent, to me that talks about making an investment, an investment in your people, an investment in your culture. Why is talent one of the top things that business leaders should invest in? Well, talent gets everything else done. You know, if you even think about the title, the book, Bet on Talent, of all the things that a leader could choose to uh, focus on in their business, whether it's strategy or new technology or marketing, all of those things are very, very important. But if you don't have the talent to execute all of those things, then you you know, they're probably not very worthwhile to you. So for me, the place to start is to bet on talent um, and to be sure that um, if I'm going to overinvest in one area of my business, I'm going to have the best talent available because the best talent will come up with the most effective strategies. The best talent will create innovative technology. The best talent will um, launch marketing strategies for your organization to improve the performance of the brand. But without that level of talent, those other things aren't very worthwhile to you. And as a business leader, to me, it would be difficult. It could be stressful to have all the responsibilities on my shoulder. So if I'm not focusing on talent, if I'm just hiring FTEs to come in and do jobs that I dictate and direct, that's a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. But to me, that sounds like it simplifies things. When you invest in talent, then they can be the ones that will create those new things, create the new work that's going to help you grow, that's going to help your business grow. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I make a a huge differentiation between two phrases. Um, Some people talk about hiring people, and I talk about selecting talent. And there's a huge difference. When I think about hiring people, it means just that. Do I have enough FTEs um, to do what needs to be done? Do I have enough people to cover the shift? Do I have enough people to serve the customer. It's all about enough quantity. But when I talk about selecting talent, really focused on do I have the right people with the right skill set to fulfill a role? And, um, you know, I'm looking for very specific experiences and skills and capabilities uh, to do exactly what needs to be done. And uh, that's just, it's a different mindset. And that mindset produces different results. When you look at culture, so sometimes I can see that companies say, here is our culture and here is the type of person that we want to hire. On the other side, you have companies or business leaders that say, here is the set of skills that we're looking to hire for this role. So talk to me about the relationship between those two. Can, can there be a relationship between the two? 
Oh, sure. Well, we're talking about two different things, really. And I talk about selecting talent under three criteria, actually. So let me break it down. So when I think about all this, I'm focused on three criteria in selecting talent. The, the first is character, character that matches the organization. So when I talk about that, I'm looking for people whose personal purpose, mission, and values align with the purpose, mission, and values of the organization. When you think about it, an organization's culture is made up of the character of all the people or the sum total of that character within the organization. And let me say that again and try to be more clear. So the sum total of the character of the people in the organization make up the culture of that organization. So first, I'm selecting for character. Secondly, I am looking at just what you talked about, those skills and um, the experiences and capabilities that someone needs. I'm looking for those skills that match the specific role. And I'm not just, if I'm looking long-term, I'm also looking for people who don't just have the skills for the current role, but I'm also looking at people who have skills for roles we might need in the future. And so that I can build bench strength and I can create opportunities for people to grow so that I can retain them and bring them along in the organization. And then lastly, you didn't really ask this question, Matt, but the third thing I look at is chemistry, chemistry that matches the team. Now, sometimes when people think about the word chemistry, they're thinking about, oh, how does someone get along with everyone else? Do they, quote unquote, fit in? Well, of course, you're looking for a personality that gets along with people on the, on the team. But what I'm really looking for is a collaborative person. Oh, and yeah. I want them to bring their diversity to the table because that brings more value to the organization and then be able to communicate in a collaborative way so other people are influenced by their point of view. So these are the three things I look for. Character that matches the organization, competency that matches the role, and chemistry that matches the team. I love that. And I love how you talk about chemistry. A lot of times when I think back to the most successful teams that I've been a part of, the number one thing that made that team stand out was the chemistry of the team. And not just the fact that we all got along and enjoyed each other's company, but it was the fact that we complemented each other. We came with a diverse background and diverse skills that helped complement and really fill out what made a powerful team. Yeah. To me, that's the, the best chemistry when you're able to do that. And, I love how you talk about character. It's the sum total. And I talk about that with defining and developing brands because you, know, you can't build a brand overnight. You can't build a brand with just one big campaign or one Super Bowl commercial. It's the sum total of all experiences. And I love how you talk about that with culture. It's not just the character of the leader. It's not just the character of any spokesperson, but it's the sum total. I don't think enough business leaders get that. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, and it impacts, you know, it's the internal morale and engagement of the organization is, and then it's the external brand. So it's very, very important that you have this uh, alignment 
between the members of the team and the organization, because without that alignment, it's either impacting the engagement internally or the brand expression and um, customer engagement externally. Absolutely. Culture is definitely tied to your brand. You talk about Chick-fil-A having a remarkable culture, but now on the opposite side of that, I would say is a toxic culture. So what does a toxic culture look like? One of the hallmarks of a toxic culture is one is an organization that is led by leaders who require compliance to a stack of rules instead of Mm. applying principles. Let me explain that a little further. Um, It's much easier in some ways to lead by lack of a better term by the sword, as they used to say, you know, um, (laughs) where you lay down the law and you expect people to keep their head down and do their job um, or lose that job. And that style of leadership obviously is not effective for a lot of reasons, but particularly uh, pre pandemic when, uh, you know, a generation of people could pretty much choose their jobs and, and move in as often as they wanted to because work is available. That wasn't very effective in finding great talent or retaining them. People weren't going to work in those circumstances. But it also, the, the, in a toxic culture that is compressed by rules like that, the other, the real people who suffer are the customers of that organization because you've had this experience when you engage with someone and, and you've had, you might be having a difficulty with that organization. There was some kind of problem and you're trying to solve it. And the answer is, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. I'll have to right. ask my supervisor versus in remarkable cultures, you see people who've been empowered with a principle, you know, to use the example, since you mentioned Chick-fil-A and I'm, I'm pretty familiar with that. You know, <laughs> one of the examples was that they taught their people the principle of make second mile second nature. That was what they taught them. Now, you know, as you, as a customer of Chick-fil-A at any different franchisee, that might be expressed differently. Um, but it, but these franchisees and their team members were freed up to serve the customers in their market in the ways that were appropriate for them. And so um, it just led to this expectation of that, Chick-fil-A was going to do whatever was necessary to keep me as a customer, to win my heart, if you will. And then what's been really neat, you know, I've I've been gone from Chick-fil-A almost two years since my retirement. And as a customer, when all this happened with the pandemic and people were trying to decide, okay, now who do I trust to go get carry out or go through the drive through at their restaurant? And it didn't take very long before the lines were wrapped around at Chick-fil-A. And my viewpoint on that as a customer was, well, because there's trust there. There was trust before because of how I was treated as a customer. And when I thought about where am I going to go, and and sure enough, I show up at Chick-fil-A and the team members are all wearing masks, whether you think that's a good thing or not, they're all doing it. And that shows me consistency that they care about me. Um, They have hand washing, they installed hand washing stations outside of all of their restaurants. They're utilizing a mo- uh, the mobile app that they had already created prior to the pandemic to get service to customers. And um, that's what happens when you create a principled environment. Then, you know, when you do have some major problem, that, that organization is ready to pivot and to go on to continue that 
reputation they have for trust and taking care of the customer. In a toxic culture, people get really tied up in rules and they're so tied up in rules that it makes it really difficult to win the heart of the customer. If your people are tied up in rules, then when there is something where it's time to pivot or time to act quickly, you can't act quickly because your people are waiting on the new set of rules. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I love how you talk about empowerment. So empowerment is, I think, one of the hallmarks of a simple brand, a brand that provides simple experiences because it puts it in the hearts and the minds of the team members and especially of the frontline team members to be able to decide how can I serve this specific customer the best? Yeah, you know, and there are so many other brands that do such a good job of that too that I have that experience with. Uh, you know, I, I, think of, I think of Zappos and what they've done in empowering their frontline people, you know, one of the examples that they, it was an amazing thing that they do, but they empower their people actually that when a customer calls, if Zappos cannot find the product that the customer's looking for, then that customer service rep will find it on a competitor's website and give that information to the customer. They will actually lose a customer in order to satisfy the customer. And um, so there are lots, I mean, those types of principles are what really make people uh, legendary in the customer service arena. Oh, yeah. And, and with Zappos, I would say that that, that that may lose that transaction, but I think that they gain a loyal customer through that. Sure. They create a fan out of that customer for, for life, hopefully, is what they're trying to do. That's what we're here to do is we're, we're, we're trying to create fans, mm-hmm. people that are going to keep coming back. You talk about trust and customers that trust Chick-fil-A. How did Chick-fil-A go about building that trust? I'll speak more about that from my own experience of working there, Matt, uh, because, I, again, I, you know, I am retired from there, so I don't talk about um, how they do that today. But my experience in the past um, has been, I really think it comes down to the selection of the talent and the, and the stewardship of that talent over time. From the very beginning, when Truett opened his first restaurant in 1946 outside of Atlanta, he knew it was important to surround himself with great people that would have a heart for service. And so he, he talked about that people decisions are the most important decisions that a business makes. And he lived that, he lived that out from 46 to when he passed away in 2014 and all of his influence at Chick-fil-A. And I think that the trust is built um, one person at a time. In fact, I've heard Chick-fil-A say, you know, one smile or one sandwich at a time. And I think that's true. It's a customer coming in and having an experience of being treated well at their local Chick-fil-A again and again and again. And what Chick-fil-A has done is select extraordinary talent at every level of the organization over time, train them well, develop them, and then free them up to actually provide that service. And, uh, you know, that consistency, I think, is what has built the trust in the mind of the customer. That ties back to what we've been talking about earlier, how it's not just one person, and it's not just one big marketing campaign, and it's not just one experience. It's the sum total of all experiences. It's, It's built, you know, one experience at a time. I love that. 
But one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and when I read this in Bet on Talent, this was some of this was one of the most mind-opening topics that I got from Bet on Talent. And it's Chick-fil-A's approach to stewardship. So what are some of the ways that businesses can be stewards of their talent? Uh, well, most importantly, I think, is you start with understanding what that person wants to accomplish in their life. What kind of impact do they want to have? What are their dreams and desires? How does their professional role play into that? And can I help make those dreams come true? Now, that sounds really lofty when I say this, but it's about being invested in what they want. You know, Truett used to say this too. He was, he was quoting someone else, but he would say, if you help enough people get enough of what uh, they want, you'll eventually get what you want. And that's very true. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the reason he did that was to get what he wanted, but he really taught me that principle of helping other people achieve their dreams. And then I witnessed that throughout my career. And I've seen that Chick-fil-A franchisees are another great example of that. I've watched them do some amazing things. One of the franchisees I know in the Atlanta area, uh, he tells the story about his uh, taking his daughter to the support center and she met Truett Cathy and Truett said she had the most beautiful smile and he loved the encouragement that Truett gave to his daughter so much, he decided that he wanted to help other people have beautiful smiles. And so he's someone who has actually paid for out-of-pocket, you know, not an insurance program, but just out-of-pocket for his employees to have orthodontic care. And when they didn't have transportation to drive to the orthodontist, his wife would pick them up and take them to their appointments. And so, you know, he's provided multiple sets of braces for uh, team members because he wanted people to have great smiles and knew the opportunities that would give them. Um, I could go in on and on telling stories about that, but finding out what somebody really wants to do for a lot of people who are working, obviously, in the fast food industry, they're on their way to something else. Well, what is that something else? Is it college? Is it, is it funding college for your children or your grandchildren? You know, um, is it buying that first car, whatever it is, and then using the opportunity to help it come true, maybe by developing uh, them and their skill set so that they're prepared for whatever their next opportunity is. And I love hearing stories like that. I've heard the story about that owner operator providing orthodontics care. I've heard stories about you know, college scholarships or providing prom transportation. And to me, that goes back to what you were talking about with second mile service. Um, you know, to me, first mile service is ensuring that your team members have the resources they need to do their jobs. But second mile service right there, all those things that they're providing that has nothing to do with those team members' actual roles. Yeah. And, you know, I, I believe it was Richard, Richard Branson who's famous for saying, if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers. And so that's what you see happen. It's like if somebody feels well cared for, um, that somebody is investing in them, they're much more apt to invest in customers. And to me, the return on the customer investment is far greater than the investment that to make into the employees. I mean, the, I think it outweighs the return on investment of what you get from the customer far outweighs the investment made uh, to, for the employee. One of the keys that I've seen from the Chick-fil-A experience that I get and the Chick-fil-A experience that I've witnessed and read about is empathy 
empathy stands out as part of that experience. So I'd love to understand, how do you think empathy played a role in Chick-fil-A's culture? Well, I think that, you know, let me just talk from my own personal experience. Oh, please, yes. You know, and how, and and I'm sure it was because of the way that I was treated as an employee that I came to this realization. But one of the things, I mean, one of the ways it played out in my own function was when as a leader, and I thought about my own staff, it was coming to the, the realization that everyone that worked for me was somebody's husband or wife, somebody's son or daughter, somebody's brother or sister. And how do I want to treat those people in my life? Um, how do I want those people in my life treated? That's the way I want to treat those who report to me. I felt the same way about an interviewing experience. We were interviewing in our function hundreds of people a week. But for that person who was coming in to be a Chick-fil-A franchisee or was going to work there for at the support center, that was one of the most exciting, important days of their lives to them. And so how am I going to treat them? Well, I'm going to treat them the way the import, I want the important people in my life treated. And so I think that idea of just thinking about, you know, Truett was famous for saying, um, he repeating the golden rule, but he just didn't say, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, do unto others as they would have the, it done unto them, you know. I call that them. the platinum rule. Yeah, do to them what they would want. And so I think that that treatment of people just permeated uh, to become a very uh, caring organization for the people within the organization. People actually asked me what it was that I loved about working at Chick-fil-A. And at different seasons, it was different things. When I first went there, it was the autonomy I had to take on lots of responsibility. It was it was a young entrepreneurial organization and we didn't have a lot of staff. And so if you saw something that needed to be done, you got to jump in and do it. And that was very exciting for a young person uh, to have all those opportunities. Later, it was the balance I had at being a wife and mother and an executive. And I didn't feel like I had to sacrifice one for the other. But one of the things that permeated my entire experience was the care that people had for me. Um, there was nothing else in my life other than my family um, that showed more care to me than my Chick-fil-A family. I use the example, I think I talk about it in Bed on Talent, but when I was, uh, when my father passed away in 2013 and I was at the funeral home, that place was full of people and Mm. most of them were from Chick-fil-A. And, you know, my Chick-fil-A friends were making sure I had something to eat and that I had some water and that I had, you know, just everything that I needed. And they continued to comfort me for weeks after that experience. And so, you know, I think that's what empathy looks like um, is this spirit of care. And I certainly experienced that as an employee uh, during all those years. People want to feel valued. People want to feel like others care for them and what you described right there, like, like that, that is it right there. When we talk about investing in talent and managing a culture, a lot of that is at the leadership level, but sometimes there are people who aren't in official leadership titles or official leadership roles. What can they do to help develop and manage the culture around them? Well, I always suggest to people, start where you are. And so you start with yourself. And if you're not in a leadership position, but you want to influence the culture, then, you know, what is your personal mission 
what is your personal purpose? You know, your meaningful purpose for life. What is your mission, your challenging mission and big goal you're trying to accomplish? What are your core values? Are you demonstrating those for the people around you? And then maybe you're a supervisor of a small team. Again, start where you are, use what you have. And so you have this small team. Do you have values for that team that you're demonstrating, um, that you're that your body go about your work because if you do that I know that you're going to get better engagement and people are going to notice and they're going to ask you why and then you get to say well we've developed this cultural framework for our team we're working within it and because of that we're we're getting better engagement out of our team members and we're getting better results um, from those that we serve and then you have that influence for that to spread it becomes a grassroots effort and I've seen it happen over and over again, not just with spreading the culture, but all kinds of initiatives within an organization. Uh, people, you know, and, and I tell people that come to me for coaching when they say, well, you know what? I have absolutely no ability to influence even that. And when they tell me that, I say, well, that's probably not the right organization because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't espouse people quitting their jobs without trying. But if you're in an organization that doesn't have a really strong culture and you make efforts to help be who you personally are to influence, and you find that that has no impact whatsoever, it's not welcome, then that might not be the right organization. But um, I have found that most people, uh, when they give that a shot, they're really surprised by the results that when they just demonstrate their own personal culture, and they lead, they might lead their small little team um, in that way, it gains ground, and it starts impacting and influencing others in the organization. The results really speak for themselves. And even leaders who think that, you know, the subject of culture, which this is changing a lot, as you know, Matt, um, it used to be the the touchy-feely thing. People didn't see it as strategic. In the last few years, this has totally changed that people understand how your organizational culture impacts your bottom line. So smart leaders are seeing that and they're recognizing and rewarding those who are having influence on the culture within the organization. I've heard um, like one of my favorite leaders from, from FedEx, he says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say lunch and dinner too. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Maybe even midnight snack. Yeah. Um, I love how you say that no, no matter who you are, if you want to influence culture, start with where you are, start with what you have, because culture is contagious no matter what type of culture you have, it's contagious. If you've got a toxic culture, it's going to spread to other teams. But if you have a strong, positive, remarkable culture, that's going to spread too. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and both will. A toxic culture and a remarkable culture, um, you know, I really believe a toxic culture will doom your organization. And I believe that a remarkable culture can transform it. Dan, we are learning so much from you today. I love the conversation we're having, but I know that you've got more lessons to share with others. Where can people go to learn more from you? Sure. Well, first of all, my website is Turner, D-E-E-A-N-N, turner.com. Uh, secondarily, you can find me on Facebook, Turner Author, and at LinkedIn, Turner, and on Instagram at Turner. Those are Uh, places you can find me and would love to interact with your listeners. Sounds like if people go searching for you, it's pretty easy to find you. 
I hope I hope so. Sometimes it's too easy if you understand that. <laughs> oh, understood. Now, Deanne, last question for you. If you were to create a soundtrack for Bet on Talent, what songs would you include? <laughs> oh, what a fun question. Uh, well, I think I would start with Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. Oh, because yeah. <laughs> I think when you load up with talent and you have a remarkable culture, um, the sky is not even the limit um, for what your organization can do. And I think about the song You Gotta Be by Desiree, um, you know, because it uh, it really describes all the things you have to be as a leader in an organization and take care of. Uh, and when you become those things, I think you strengthen your culture. And then, of course, if you're taking care of your talent and you're taking care of your culture and your organization, then you're taking care of business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. That, that, that just reminds you what you have to take care of. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Deanne, it was great seeing you. Great talking with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Matt. Again, it's been a true pleasure. Appreciate the work that you're doing. And I hope that all of you um, who are listening stay well and stay safe. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Deanne Turner and talking about the lessons that she's learned from her 30 plus career with Chick-fil-A that she's put into her book, bet on talent. And we talked a little bit about this in the episode, but I really, really want to drive home the point, something that was really eye-opening to me, something that was such a huge lesson that I learned from her book, was the concept of stewardship in your own business resources. Stewardship over everything that you control and manage, and that includes stewardship over your human resources as well. And I don't think I've shared this with anybody else so far, but after reading this in late 2019, I had it on my heart, you know, to make the word stewardship my word for 2020, to remind me to make sure that I was properly managing and stewarding everything that I had that was in my control. My business resources, my finances, my time, and my talents. My wife calls it Stewardship 360. Uh, Stewardship over everything that's around me. That was one of the biggest lessons that I learned. There are a lot more lessons that you can learn when you go and get bet on talent, and then when you go and pre-order Crush Your Career. And then go to dnturner.com and follow her online. And if you have the opportunity, encourage your leaders, encourage your event planners to bring Deanne in or to have a virtual talk because she's great at doing those too, where she can actually teach you and your leadership all about building a remarkable culture. Hey, I hope you're enjoying listening to the Simple Brand Podcast. I love having you with us today. Um, I'd love it if you hit the subscribe button. And when you do, that's going to be a lot simpler for you to get future episodes. We've got some great episodes coming up. Lots of more great interviews. Lots of fun guests. More lessons from me, Matt Lyles. So hit the subscribe button, and then you can automatically make sure that you get those new episodes as soon as they're live. Until then, keep it simple.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.